Holy Father, you are the giver of all that is good. We just saw your gift in operation. You've entrusted gifts to all of us. So what do we do with these gifts? Maximize them. That's what we ask. And let this teaching from Holy Scripture today be clear. What we, what we hear, grant us the grace to heed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm reading the newspaper the other day, and I see this headline that catches my eye. Ooh, this, this ought to be interesting. What experiences make us happy? It's a syndicated uh, columnist writing, Susan Reimer. She writes for the Baltimore Sun. And since we're doing this little mini-mini-series that ends today, started last week, ends right now, uh, how to quantify your happiness, I thought, you know, let, let's share this together. So she opens up. She's going to report on a study that the Journal of Consumer Research has just come out with. So she's given us a, 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 an overview. There is lots of science. This makes sense. There's lots of science that tells us that experiences make us happier than possessions. Isn't that right? Come on. That's, we, we know that intuitively. But which experiences? Here's the question. Which experiences make us the happiest? Which experiences should we seek out if we want to be happy? Let's find out. So this study is collaborated... Uh, upon by two marketing professors, two different schools, the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth, that's one professor. The other school is the Wharton School, that's a, that's a very prestigious school of business at the University of Pennsylvania. They collaborated together, Amit Bakhtari and Cassie McGillner. The title of their research, fascinating, Happiness from Ordinary and Extraordinary Experiences. So they had to do two things. Number one, they had to determine what is extraordinary? What is ordinary? Then how do we respond to it? So when, when, when they speak of ordinary, e extraordinary, rather, they're talking about uncommon and infrequent experiences, such as the birth of a child or a trip to Hawaii. We all love that kind of extraordinary. Then, of course, the opposite would be true of ordinary. That would be the, the common and frequent, such as feeling the sun on your face on a summer morning or sharing a pizza in a movie with the kids. So that's ordinary and extraordinary. Now they say we've got to find out how people relate to them depending on our ages. So they found, I'm reading now, they found that younger people, that would be me and the, the rest of the young who are here, they found that younger people who view the future as infinite and who are collecting experiences to help define who they are gain more happiness from extraordinary experiences. The young do. As people age, the researchers found, and begin to view their remaining time as limited, you know what that feels like, they get just as much happiness from the ordinary experiences that are part of their daily lives. So they've just published this. I want you to write down their conclusions. Grab the study guide right now, because I don't want to read this twice. Grab your study guide, and we'll, we'll open up with this quotation. It's in your worship bulletin. If you didn't get a worship bulletin today, or several of you came with just one bulletin, She's got a choice quotation coming up. I want you to have it. So just hold your hand up. Our friendly ushers are coming your way in the back in the, uh, in the balcony as well. And those of you watching on live streaming, we're delighted to have you. And let me put our website on the screen for you, and you can get the same study guide. There it is, www.pmchurch.tv. You're looking for a little mini, mini series, How to Quantify Your Happiness. Began last week, ends right now. Title of today's teaching, The Churchyard in Cambridge. The Churchyard in Cambridge. When you see that one, click on, and you'll have the same study guide. All right, jot this down, please. 
She's uh, Susan Reimer now on the Journal of Consumer Research, actually quoting from the, uh, the experiment, the report. While younger people, all right, jot that down. While younger people tend to define happiness in terms of excitement, enthusiasm, and high-stakes arousal, older people define happiness in terms of calm, peacefulness, and low states of arousal, the authors wrote. We still love thrills as we age, the researchers found, but extraordinary experiences, in fact, it's a long word. Extraordinary experiences give young and old almost the same amount of pleasure. We all love the trip to Hawaii. You don't have to be young to enjoy that. But now note, happiness from ordinary experiences increased as people aged. The older you get, the more ordinary life can be, and you're contented. And then she, 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 she takes a line from uh, the... Uh, he's an essayist, Roger Angel, uh, with the New Yorker magazine. He, he's written an essay, a very pensive essay, on, on aging. And I thought this was worth the whole study guide just to have these two sentences. And so you have them there in your study guide you, for you to keep. Talking about ordinary, he's describing. His wife has died. He's 93. His wife has died. But the essayist is writing, Roger Angel, we've outgrown our ambitions. It's true, isn't it? You reach a certain age and the ambitions are gone. We've outgrown our ambitions. If our wives or husbands are still with us, we sense a trickle of contentment flowing from the reliable springs of routine, affection in long silences, calm within the light boredom of well-worn friends, retold stories, and mossy opinions. Isn't that good? That is just precious. That's worth keeping. Hang on to that. Clip, clip that out of that study guide. Put it on the refrigerator. I mean, Susan Reimer is right. Her opening lines in her, in her syndicated column, experiences make us, make us happier than possessions. We've all known that intuitively. And that being the case, I need to ask you, why is it then? Why is it we spend so much energy, and may I be very frank now, so much money on accumulating more possessions? Why is it? Do you suppose Jesus, Jesus tangentially is making that point in this little island of red in a, in a sea of black? One more time. This is our theme text for this little mini-mini-series. Go to the book of Acts with me, Acts chapter 20. This line from Jesus appears in, in none of the Gospels, nowhere else in the New Testament. Paul inserts it. Thank you, Paul, for doing it. Critical principle for you and I to live by. Paul inserts it at the end of his farewell address to the little church in Ephesus. These are the elders. These are the members. Paul has raised this church up. He spent three years in Ephesus, and he's announced to them, you'll never see my face again. The, the scene is awash in tears. Paul comes to the punchlines, verse 35, the last line. He ends with the red letters of our Lord himself. Paul speaking, look at, in everything I did when I was here with you, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said. I want you, uh, let, let's say this out loud together. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Of course, of course it's a blessing to receive. We're as giddy as kids at Christmas when somebody unexpectedly gives passes on a gift to us. We love it. But Jesus' point is even more than giving, it is more blessed the giving. Giving is more blessed than getting. 
The point, by the way, the great 19th century New Englander, American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow made in that great poem of his in the churchyard at Cambridge. He wonders about a woman who's buried in the little village cemetery. Let me read it to you. Longfellow in the churchyard of Cambridge. In the village churchyard she lies. Dust is in her beautiful eyes. No more she breathes, nor feels, nor stirs. Was she a lady of high degree, so much in love with the vanity and foolish pomp of this world of ours? Or was it Christian charity and lowliness and humility, the richest and rarest of all dowers? The poet wonders, did she die with all the accoutrements, all the possessions of a well-heeled life? Or did she die with that rare and richest of all gifts, Christian charity and lowliness and humility? Hmm. That's a very, that's a, that's a, that is a very graphic description of death. Jot it down, will you? Dust is in her beautiful eyes. Such a graphic depiction of the unsalable truth that you can't take it with you. You just can't. Keep your pen moving. Thus Longfellow can describe Christian charity, the charity of giving as the richest and rarest of gifts. The charity of giving, the rarest of gifts. No wonder Jesus' point is so compelling. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you know why Jesus has the, uh, the courage to teach that line? Because it's the truth about Him. God is by nature a giver. Is He not? For God so loved the world that He, that he, that he gave. Jesus didn't give money. He said, said to somebody, He said, what, what, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. I have no money. Instead, Jesus gave of Himself again and again. He gave of His time. He gave of His energy. He gave of His presence, just giving and giving and giving. God is by nature a giver. In fact, I love this one-line summation. Boy, when I die, if, if time should last, and they come to that little part called the obituary or the life sketch, I hope, I hope this line is somewhere in it. Wouldn't you love to have this be the one-sentence summary of your entire life? Acts gives it. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Jesus went about doing good. Jot that down. That's the summation of his life. He was just a giver. He just gave and gave and gave. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I live that way, he says, and I invite you to live that way. You'll be way more blessed as a giver rather than a getter. <laughs> it is more blessed to give than to receive. You think about it. If we live by this adage of Jesus, oh my, can you imagine the indebtedness and debt we would be spared we were blessed to have a family visiting us uh, back in April, just a few weeks ago. Uh, they're down from Toronto, husband and wife and their, their child. She's a pers prospective Andrews University student. We're chatting at the back, and I find out he's a financial analyst. And then he didn't, he, in the conversation, he says, by the way, I've written a book. I said, would you, he said, would you like to have it? I said, send it to me. He sent me the book. His name, Tim Aka, A-K-A. Get a Kindle version of it at Amazon.com. I've read the book through. Fascinating. Title of his book, Endgame Economics, Understanding the Financial Crisis Through Scripture. My last two blogs, if you go onto my blogs, the last two blogs are all analyzing some fascinating perspectives of his in that book. But anyway, as many economists, Aka, Tim, Tim has come to the conclusion. This is a no, this is no rocket science kind of a conclusion. Economists have come to it. I put his words on the screen for you. You know it to be true. It has become painfully obvious the world is suffering under a tremendous burden of debt. 
from Portugal, Ireland, Greece, and Spain, in the European Union, to Japan, China, and of course the United States, nations have become saddled with unsustainable debt. And then he makes an observation. I hadn't thought about this before. I want you to have it. I'll put his words on the screen. Individuals, of course we know this, individuals have also taken on great amounts of debt to try to attain and maintain a lifestyle. Now, hold on. Keep reading. Of course, there are those who are truly impoverished without the necessities of life. But the majority of us have all we need for a comfortable life. I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a congregation in a, on a university campus, pretty much true of all of us. We have all we need. Do we not? Of course we do. Keep reading. Yet we do not realize the extent to which debt... Would you write that word in, please? We do not realize the extent to which debt has played a role in the creation of this lifestyle, end quote. For example, look at the accumulation of technology products and possessions that have be really support the nearly, and Akka makes this point as well, it is nearly universal, this drive, this desire for entertainment. You think about it. We have become an entertainment-hungry, starved society. Everything we do is practically, practically everything is in the context of entertainment. You look at the toys we collect, the cell phones, the liquid plasma television, satellite dishes, cable TV, tablets, video games, the internet is a delivery system for movies, documentaries, music, archived television shows, gambling, pornography. And that's just the list of our high-tech entertainment. And that list, by the way, could be endless. So much so that, by the way, our children now, ages two and three, are being given these high-tech toys. Think of what they're going to be famished for by the time they grow up. Come on, it's just a, it's, it's, it's the age. And the truth is, wouldn't you agree, most of us buy into this 24-7 entertainment lifestyle through credit cards. That's how we get in, through credit cards. Hold on to your seat. You want to know what the, uh, the accumulated credit card debt in the United States today is? We are buying everything with these credit cards. I went to a, a website uh, entitled USDTA. came to these words, and then you're going to scribble down some, some just stunning facts, just astounding. Americans today, put it on the screen for you, it's not in your study guide. Americans today depend far more on credit than they do on their savings, and credit cards are one of the most common forms of borrowing in the United States. Credit cards are a form of, are a form of borrowing that it is relatively easy to obtain and which provides a convenient way of spending the borrowed money. Many people treat their credit cards as equivalent to cash, using it to make everyday purchases. Now, here come the stats. Credit card debt in the United States currently amounts to a total debt of about $962 billion. Keep, keep writing. The average credit card debt per credit card owning household is $14,750. The average. Keep reading. This is the total credit card debt divided by the number of households with credit cards. Credit card penalty fees in the United States add up to about $20.5 billion a week. That's a, a year, rather. That's feels like a week. That's what they're trying. It's a lucrative business. It's a huge $20.5 billion a year. Approximately 609.8 million credit cards are currently in use in the United States, with credit card users having an average of 3.5 cards each. There are about 176.8 million credit card users in the United States. Every year, about 5 billion credit card solic solicitations are mailed in the USA. We get half of them at our mailbox. 
I'm telling you. Have you noticed that? Now, students, the students are gone, but there may be a few here. Look at this. Students are particularly likely to have credit card debts, and they are also likely to have multiple credit cards. The average credit card debt of a new graduate is $4,100, with about 20% of graduates having credit card debts of more than $7,000. That's not the $100,000 it took to get an education. That's beyond it with your credit card. How did Jesus put it? It is more blessed to give than to receive. If we live by Jesus' counsel, can you imagine the indebtedness and debt we could be spared? Then, why, why, why would that be? Because we would discover, as Susan Reimer wrote just a moment ago, that experience makes us happier than possessions. And the greatest experience in life to bring joy is the experience of giving. That's what we'd find out. Credit cards are only for one purpose, getting. Hmm. So what if we gave less to ourselves and more to others? Paul's the only one to record this line. And Paul wrote over in, in the book of Romans, put it on the screen for you, Romans chapter 13, verse 8. I love it from the New Living Translation, by the way. How does Paul put it? Pay all your debts, except the debt of love for others. You see, when we give... We give out of our debt to love others, even as Jesus loved us. That's how it works. We give out of a love for others. We just give. I want to tell you a story about giving that I have had sitting on my desk, waiting for the right time to share it, and, and today is it. I had a, a young co-ed here at Andrews University come into my office, and she sat down in the office. I said, what's your name? She said, I, I'm not going to tell you my name. I said, okay, it's fine. She said, I have something to give you. I'm holding it right here in my hands. It's a, I don't know if you can see this, it's, a, it's an Andrews University uh, envelope from the cashier's office that says, have a nice day on it. So when you pick up money over there, they give you this little envelope. Very nice. I said, well, why are you here? She said, I want you to have this. She said, inside of this, inside of this envelope is my dream. I said, what are you talking about? She says, I've had a dream. She's from Russia. She says, I've had a dream. I've had a dream to own my own camera. I have been saving money for my camera, a nice camera. Th that camera is going to be the wings to the dream I have for life. But she says, I've, I've come to the place where I realize the last 20%, now listen to this, the last 20%, it's just not going to come to me. I, I can't see where it would come from. So I've made a decision, and I don't want you to stop me. I made a decision. Since I could not reach my dream, I want to give this money to some student who has a dream but who has no money for that dream. These will, what's inside will be wings for that dreamer, and maybe that dream will come true. I'm getting a little bit kind of choked up over this, and I'm thinking, this, this is not right. You just keep your money, girl. Well, how much more do you need? I'll help you. She left. I said, give me your email address, please, so I can let you know what happened. That's it. I opened the envelope after she left, along with a little note that just told the story I just told you, and her picture. She stuck her picture, and she wanted her picture to go to whoever this goes to. Eight hundred dollars. Eight hundred greenback. 
$1,500. Why'd she do it? I mean, please. You're on the cusp of a dream. Maybe Jesus is right. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said of Mary when she gave the alabaster box, you know, wherever, wherever her story is told, the gospel will get preached. Wherever this little story gets told from henceforth, and you can pass it on and pass it on, wherever it gets told, the gospel gets preached. And so, we were challenged last Sabbath. Hey, what if we took the 90-day tithe challenge? Put it on the screen. We said, okay, the 90-day tithe challenge. And here was the deal last week. If you've never tithed before in your life, come on, get ready for an adventure with God. Never tithe before, start it. If you have been tithing with God, you know, every, the whole world, you can be an atheist and know what tithing is. It's 10% of your income. The whole world knows that. If you've had this kind of start, stop, start, stop relationship with God through tithing, what, what if you for 90 days said, okay, God, no more start and stop from now on, 90 days, every time income comes in, 10%, you get it. Tithe, tithe. That's what the Bible calls tithe. What if you did that for 90 days? And we went last week to the, this, this great promise in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, right at the end of the Old Testament, one of the astounding promises of God where he says, hey, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, test me. I love that part. He says, I, I, check it out. Try me. Test me. Test me, says the Lord Almighty, and see, let's go to the next screen, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. For the next 90 days, test him. Just test him. That's what we were talking about last week. Test him. See if he doesn't open up the floodgates of heaven and bless you for 90 days. And I'm very, I'm very delighted and grateful to tell you, 68 people on the spot signed up and said, we'll do it. 68 took the challenge last week. A whole lot more said, I'm not putting anything on this connect card. I'll try it anyway. Shh. And then afterwards, so then afterwards, somebody comes up to me, one of our members here. She says, you know what, Dwight? A lot of us are already tithing. Why, don't you, why didn't you give us a challenge? I'm all ready for you to give a challenge, and then you just say, if you haven't tithed, do this little challenge. We need a challenge, too. I've got to tell you, it kind of caught me by surprise. But I've been brooding over that. And I'm happy to announce today that we, we are launching a second challenge. <laughs> you asked for it. We're, we're, announce, we're announcing a second challenge. Put it on the screen. The 90-day second tithe challenge. You say, what are you talking about, second tithe? Come on, God in Deuteronomy 14, he tells the children of Israel just before they go into the promised land, he says, hey, listen, 10%, that just goes to me. But I'm going to ask for another 10%, another tithe. You read it. And I've got a quotation for you in the study guide, which we won't touch now. He says, you, you give to the needs of those around you. First 10%, mine. The second 10% for the needs of those around you. Calls it the second tithe. So today we're, we're launching the 90-day second tithe challenge. Essentially, essentially what it is, is offerings. Above and beyond the tithe that you return to God. If God has blessed you, if God has blessed me, the second tithe comes, constitutes those offerings. In fact, many in this congregation, I'll just tell you, including Karen and me, and that doesn't make anybody any, very great, but many have been giving a, the equivalent of a second tithe. You say, ah, come on. No, I'm going to read you a story. 
this came in. So after, after, after the sermon last Sabbath, one of the guys come in and say, hey, I've got to tell you about my brother that lives down in Texas. I said, are you, are you serious? That, that really happened? Send me, have your brother send me the story through you. I will not mention either of your names. So I have it right here. Listen to this. God's promises are true. It's a great way to begin this story. God's promises are true. Those are his words. He's a software engineer, okay? Times were difficult at work, and they were cutting back on personnel. However, my employer decided to give a 6% raise regardless of the situation. My job was a bit tense due to the insecurity of the work environment. I mean, who's going to be cut? During this time, listen, the Holy Spirit impressed my wife and me to give another 10%, the second tithe. We're going to give another 10% in tithe. Two weeks later, after we started this action of faith, I received a call at my office at work from the HR department telling me that my presence was needed in, that, in their office. Due to, the, due to the situation at work, I had good reason to be nervous. Belinda, the HR manager, asked me to sit down and offer me coffee. I said, I'm good, thank you. The first thing she said was, listen, we've been doing a secret investigation. And not even your boss knows about it. Oh, this made me really nervous. I thought to myself, what did I do now? She continued, we have found that four employees, and you're one of them, have been underpaid for the job that you perform, software engineering, and you are entitled for a 15% raise on top of the 6% you got a couple weeks ago. Oh, this accounted for a 21% raise. I was speechless, and all that came out of my mouth was, the Lord is good. And she replied, yes, the Lord is good. <laughs> Thank God for believing HR directors. Since then, okay, so he's right now. Since then, we have need of absolutely nothing. We have increased our stewardship to a total of about 30%. We have so much abundance that it is inexplicable. Put God to the test. His promises are true. Please put him to the test as he said to do. He's become a preacher now. Isn't that amazing? That's what you call extraordinary. Now, listen. As soon as you start tithing, you're not going to get a 21% raise. Don't go into tithing for that reason. That would be wrong, wouldn't it? The only reason you tithe is you want to tithe yourself, not into prosperity, but tithe yourself into radical trust in God. That's what they did. They had no idea there was going to be a raise. No clue. They honored God. God says, let me surprise you. See, test me, test me. See if I won't open those floodgates of heaven and pour out so much of a blessing. You won't have room enough to receive it. Come on, take the 90-day tithe challenge. And if you're already tithing, take the 90-day second tithe challenge. You say, well, what do I give for, for, uh, for the second tithe? Well, look. So the first tithe is line one. And this is our little tithe envelope here. So the first line is line one. There are 14 lines under line one. You pick. For that second 10% of your income, you pick. By the way, if you're not sure what to pick, on the other side, when you open the flap to the tithe envelope right here, we've gone ahead and done the arithmetic for you. There's some special needs in this congregation. They total up to 11%. You can cut 1% off if you're going to do just the second tithe on one of them for 90 days. So this is the deal. For 90 days, take the challenge. For 90 days, every bit of income, 10% for God, 10% for the work and the mission of God around where I go to church. 20%. You wanted a challenge? That'll be a challenge. There are many sitting around you who have been doing this for years. 
and see if God will not open the windows of heaven. He says, test me. That's just as true for the offerings because Malachi 3.10 is not just about tithing. Read it carefully. It's also about offerings. Test me. Test me, please, he asks. Let me end with one more email. Oh, these are great emails. Keep them coming. So this is... If the last email with a 21% raise would be extraordinary, this is going to be ordinary. Most of the stories are like this one. Pastor Nelson, thank you for today's message. My wife and I heartily endorse your comments regarding the benefits of faithful tithing. We began paying tithe immediately after our marriage and to my knowledge have never missed a pay period since. Over the past 49 years, we have never gone hungry, though on a few occasions the soup got a little thin. We have never been cold in the winter or had our electricity turned off. We have seen our children through church school, academy, Andrews University, and both of them to subsequent graduate degrees with their educational bills entirely paid and without student loans to pay off. Although not always in the most affluent neighborhoods, our homes have been adequate and comfortable. And although not always new, our cars have rarely left us without transportation. We have had opportunity to travel to Southeast Asia and to Europe on several occasions. We can count on the fingers of one hand the number of hospitalizations for us and our children that we've had between us. We have been blessed beyond anything we might have imagined. And we see that as a direct result of our commitment to God through tithing. Ordinary, with an extraordinary God looking out for you every step of the way. It doesn't get any better than this. It doesn't get any better than this. Test me. Try me. 90 days. 90 days. And with this quotation from Desire of Ages, put it on the screen. Having undertaken our redemption, God will spare nothing, however dear, which is necessary to the completion of His work. No truth essential to our salvation is withheld. No miracle of mercy is neglected. No divine agency is left unemployed. Favor is heaped upon favor, gift upon gift. The whole, and by the way, that word whole is 100%. The whole treasury of heaven is open to those He seeks to save having collected the riches of the universe and laid open the resources of infinite power, he gives them all. And by the way, all is 100%. He gives them all into the nail-scarred hands of Christ and says, all these are for man and woman. Use these gifts to convince them that there is no love greater than mine in earth or heaven. Their greatest happiness will be found in loving me. 100%. I give it all to you. You know what? 10%, 20%, my 10%, 20 even my 100%. What is it if not simply a grateful response to the God who has given me the whole universe? It doesn't get any better than that. So test me. Come on. Try me. You're not doing this for a church. You're not doing this for prosperity. You're doing this because you have a friend who has invested in you every penny he has to make sure that the two of you spend eternity together. This is about your saying, I also wish to spend eternity with you. Test me. Test me again. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give.
All, by the way, is 100%. Let's sing that together. Let's sing that together. But take your Connect card first. Let's respond to this teaching today, and then let's sing. Our ushers are moving to the doors right now to receive these Connect cards from us. Guests, we're always delighted when you join us, even in the summertime. Glad you're here. On the front of the card, this is where we, we put our names. You know, once we've gotten known around here, we don't just keep filling it out. But we'd love to know who you are, where you're from. Put, put what you're comfortable with. Don't put anything more than you're comfortable with. But put an email address because there will be an offer in just a moment. And uh, having your email address will be very helpful for that. All right, turn the card over. We call this the next step uh, side of the card. Three next steps today. I choose to live by Jesus' motto, it is better to give than to receive. <laughs> Last week, we all put a check mark there. I mean, who said, I don't want to live that way? Of course, we can all put a check mark there. Here's number two. I wish to take the 90-day tithe challenge. You see, I wasn't here last uh, weekend, Dwight. But, you know, it's making sense to me, just a little you said, what Jesus is inviting. I wish to take the 90-day tithe challenge. You know what? I was here last week, Dwight, but I said, nah, I'm not going to do it. Nah, but you know what? I'm thinking now, I'd like to. I wish to take the 90-day tithe challenge and see if God will not open the floodgates of heaven for me. So please send me periodic email notes of encouragement, and we'll do just that. Nobody's going to come knocking at the door. All we have is an email address. And then finally, number three, because you asked for it, I wish to take the 90-day second tithe challenge and see if God will not pour out so much blessing that giving will become a way of life for me. You know, some of us, the, the, you know, the way we give is kind of like, a, do I have a dollar bill? Come on, please. That's it. Do I have a dollar bill? That's it. Why? I return tithe. This is now saying, no, 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 no. For 90 days, 10%, God. Just 90 days. If you bless me, I'll keep. If you do not bless me, I'm out of here. I only have to do the 10. Why not? Sign me up. We'll send you the same encouraging emails, by the way. If you put your email address on this side. Oh, let's thank God. 100% plus 100% he's given. Let us thank him together. Dear Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the bountiful, bountiful outpouring from the floodgates of heaven into all of our lives. We may, ne we may never have tithed a single second on this planet, but our, our lungs are still breathing. Our heart is still beating. We have done. Look at God. Here we are. You don't only give to those who give to you. You are a giver to the core. And the rain falls on all your earth children, whether they believe or not. But dear Father, you did say, test me. Come on, test me. And so, trusting you, we move forward into this challenge. We do it with absolute confidence. He who has promised is faithful, and the promises will come true. Extraordinary God, hey, we would be happy for that, but ordinary very grateful we shall be for your ordinary blessings that carry us on. Receive now our morning tithes and offerings and these Connect cards. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, I'd like to take a moment to ask for your help. Currently, Pioneer is recording the programs at this website on 15-year-old analog cameras. Over the years, as the television standards have changed, we've adapted our cameras to the new standards. However, we're at the point now of no longer being able to cobble these cameras together. The reason? because of the television industry's shift to high definition. As you can see, this camera is actually using parts from two separate cameras. In fact, we have some camera operators now who are younger than these cameras. The new high definition standard, or HD, is four times the resolution of our current cameras and employs the industry standard widescreen format. 
The sensors in these cameras are just not capable of producing that level of picture quality. New cameras are a huge investment for our small ministry, but we feel it's something that needs to be done as some of our major broadcast partners are now planning to shift to this standard. So I'm asking if you'd be willing to help. If the Spirit puts it on your heart, would you be willing to give some extra support to this ministry? Through your gifts, multiplied, I believe, exponentially by God's power, we can reach this end-time generation. So look, the process is simple. Just click on the link there on the website that says, Make a Donation. You can give a single gift, or if you'd like to support us long-term, you can make that gift happen each month. If you'd rather speak with someone instead of using this uh, website, that's fine. Call our friendly operators. Toll-free number, let me put it on the screen here, 877, and the, the two words, His Will. 877-HIS-WILL. And by the way, not a single dollar donated to this ministry or this project goes to me. Your gift will go straight to our mission. Thank you for your support. And as always, I hope I'll see you back here again at this site.